Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hey everybody, this is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds, and I'm here with Mike Wizard a contributor to many fine IT publications. Um, we see a lot of Mike's work in a variety of different publications. So we're excited to have you on, Mike, to hear about your career, what you're covering, some things that you're interested in in the industry. Um, so thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So give us a quick overview of your background and where you're writing for um, at this moment. Well, these days, my primary titles are DevOps.com, Container Journal, Security Boulevard, IT Business Edge, RT Insights, and a smattering of other small yeah. blogs here and there along the way. Uh, my background is, you know, I've been doing this for coming up on probably, I don't know, I'm a few years shy of probably 30. And wow. uh, you know, most spent most of the last 10 years freelancing and prior to that was running publications such as uh, Zip Davis Enterprises Portfolio, CRN, InfoWorld, and used to be a reporter for things like uh, eWeek and Digital Review way back in the day. Oh, very nice. So what brought you into tech journalism? I think I added, let me rephrase that. I answered an ad in the New York Times a long, long time ago. Wow. And I thought that I would take this job that was being offered me by CMP to work for something that was called Electronic Buyers News for what I assumed would be maybe, you know, a six month stint before they realized that I didn't know anything about IT. And I figured <laughs> that, you know, hey, I would at least, you know, eat well for six months and then we'll see what happens. And 30 years later, here I am. Wow, that's quite a story. You stuck with it ever since. Yeah, so I enjoy it. Um, I find it to be the equivalent of having a 50-yard line seat on all the major transformation issues of the day. So there's nothing that IT doesn't touch. And from my perch, it's always been interesting. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is that perch? Like, what are you interested in covering? What are your, like some of your primary focus areas? If you look at the themes there, they all pretty much revolve around the development of software and how to accelerate the automation and deployment thereof. It's really mainly about how do we get value out of the IT investments that we're making. I think we have some really cool stuff. I just think it takes us too long to get value out of it. So most of what I tend to focus on is emerging technologies. I prefer to write about the new stuff. I don't really get too interested in somebody's having issues trying to manage their Office 365 or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, so I, I'm much more content to be at the bleeding edge and the leading edge than I am at um, you know, somebody does a interview with five IT guys and they're all complaining about something. I, you know, cause that's always a moment in time in my mind, it'll solve itself before long. Sure. And when you say emerging technologies, are you thinking, um, like emerging trends and like that digital transformation piece or more like products and that kind of a thing? Yeah, I like the hardcore tech. So Kubernetes and Prometheus and the actual software and sure. the, 
the technology itself. Um, yeah, digital business transformation is one of those things that's uh, in the eye of the beholder, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I've got a new website for my pizza shop, that's digital business transformation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're writing for different types of publications, um, do you take a different stylistic approach depending on what publication it is? I mean, every, everything from DevOps to IT Business Edge, Channel, how do you how do you sort of write for each one? Each one has their own particular audience, so they have their own kind of styles and guides, so I just have to follow that along a little bit. Um, I'm pretty careful about who I write for because if they overlap with somebody else on a particular area, it gets problematic. Mm. So I try to keep everybody in their swim lanes. Yeah, I can imagine that would be. And then do you typically, I'm always curious with freelancers, do you typically um, get assignments or do you sometimes like get, you know, a pitch that comes in perhaps and a story idea and you pitch that to the editor of a certain publication? Yeah, assignments probably make up less than 5% of the total. And most of my relationships with people are um, based more around quantity. So I'm going to commit to doing X number of articles per month for somebody, and then I'm going to deliver on that. I don't like to play pitch and catch. There's no t- not enough time in the day for that where I'm right. going to send you, you know, here's my pitch and you should approve it. Sure. I have to know you really well to do that. And there's one, a handful of people I will do that with, but I've been working with them for 25 years. So mm. I can send a pitch might not be longer than six words. Right. That's interesting. Um, and then I'm sure you get a lot of pitches from PR people and different companies and very busy, noisy space. What stands out to you when it comes to pitches of that sort? Well, what would stand out for me is how broad an audience does it hit? Mm -hmm. What is the potential number of people who might be interested in this thing? It's kind of a math problem because in the day, journalists these days are being evaluated based on page views and uniques, right? More uniques these days than page views. And so ultimately, every article has to justify its existence by how many eyeballs were looking at it, which is no different than back in the day in print when we had circulation and it was all about how many people read what. And we used to do surveys to find out what page they were on and what ads they read and what articles they read. And so the concept is similar, but it's very difficult to pitch a story that you know has a limited amount of appeal because the person on the other end of it is being evaluated on that same metric. So it's hard to say for them, at least to go, yeah, that's really cool. Except that, you know, there's only 50 people who care and we could probably send them a postcard and it'd be just as efficient. Sure. So how many pitches like that do you usually get in a day? Uh, I think it's at least 150 to 200 a day. Okay. Um, remember I'm covering a pretty broad swath of Mm -hmm. stuff, so that's not wholly unexpected, but the, the pitch level noise is just every year it gets higher. I'm Mm -hmm. not quite clear where everybody's coming from, but (laughs) on on any given day, there's at least, you know, a low of a hundred and I have seen it in the fall and some of the busier seasons get up as high as 200. Wow. 
So I guess in such a crowded and noisy space, I mean, we see it at industry conferences when we had them in person, but what, what is your advice to companies to stand out from the crowd? Um, I know a lot of companies do different research reports. They have different product lineups, just a whole different strategy when it comes to setting themselves apart and differentiating what problems they're trying to solve from a media perspective. What is your take on that? I think that the more they focus on the impact, because I'll figure out how the tech works. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to send me a pitch that, you know, gives me all the speeds and feed stuff up front, I'm kind of going to be like, yeah, I can read just as well as you can. Tell sure. me what this means up front and why I'm going to care and give me um, a hook that I'm going to actually use. Sometimes, you know, I'll read a pitch and I'll be like, well, that was kind of not for me, but graph six is pretty interesting, but it's very rare that I get to graph six. Most of the time, uh, if I'm not seeing something interesting in the first two paragraphs, I'm pretty much not catching the rest of it. So Fair I enough. see a lot of pitches where somebody clearly spent, you know, the better part of a week crafting that perfect pitch. And I'm sure they're reusing that pitch up and down the line. And I'm just getting a personalized <laughs> it that says dear Mike on the top of it. But, um, I don't think my colleagues are reading six graphs in the pitches. I think they're pretty much getting up into the second graph and going right. next. Yeah, that's pretty standard. That's what we've heard. You know, it's just getting that news hook up front and center, whether it's a subject line or, you know, the first, first couple paragraphs. So definitely good advice there. Um, and then it's, you know, it's interesting. I know ever since um, the pandemic hit in March, so much has changed when it comes to, um, obviously working from home, cybersecurity, technology in general, considering some of the changes and relation to the media industry, how has that impacted your coverage areas, if at all, and sort of your approach to things? Well, the pandemic has affected everything. I mean, IT has changed utterly, and I would argue it's changed for the better. It's mm -hmm. probably more appreciated than ever in terms of businesses realizing how dependent they are on it and everything from increased security to um, so-called digital business transformation initiatives have all accelerated. So the rate at which things were moving along is now, I would argue, two to three times faster. Yes, there are companies that are pulling back, but for mm -hmm. the most part, there are companies who are going forward and they're moving projects along. I would argue that um, what used to be a digital business transformation uh, pilot somewhere is now their entire business strategy and yeah. they've kind of flipped. Um, do I think that everybody's got it right and it's going to be perfect? Probably not. But I think that it's an ill wind that doesn't blow some good. And I'm sure we would all rather not have had the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But from an IT perspective, a lot of those folks are better off than they were before the pandemic. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. And then in in 25, over 25 years of experience that you've had, does one story stick out as being more memorable than others or just something that has that you're really passionate about that really, really stood out among the rest? I think it's the one I just finished this morning because that's oh. the one I can remember. Um, <laughs> Short term memory this morning after 25 years, this morning story. <laughs> um, well, I was thinking that through a little bit and <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's COVID right now. And, and I say that because it does touch everything. And uh -huh. I think when we look back at it, 
you hear people talking about all the time about how they can't wait to return and go back and get to the next post-COVID age, but that's not going to look anything like it did before COVID. So I joke with people, you know, there's anything before COVID I pretty much have forgotten about because it kind of changes the world. I sometimes refer to it as um, March as BC before COVID. Mm -hmm. It's just an era where uh, yeah, just about everything that happened then is, you know, a foundation or a layer that informs something else, but um, it's not at the same level of scale. You know, the latest and greatest version of a Java virtual machine does not compare to the 600 things that are happening today that are COVID or forcing people mm-hmm. to do. What do you think are some like lessons learned when it comes to cybersecurity of the past year that you think will continue on as we get into 2021? When I think about that, it's the breadth of the defense that's required, the attack surface people have forgotten about. It's huge. Right. And now it's gotten that much broader. And I, cybersecurity people have challenged and everybody thought that they were going to automate their way through this problem. But it's not the case. They're basically having to invest more, hire more people, train more people. Mm-hmm. I think it's in some ways exacerbated a weakness that was already there. On the plus side, there's more dollars being spent in that direction. So people are getting more serious about it and then they're not just tipping their head at it as they drive by. They're looking at it and going, hey, Uh, security people have been telling them forever that this is a business asset, not a um, cost to be borne. But I think they're starting to hear that message finally, but we'll see. Hmm. Got it. Um, What are some of the key cybersecurity or technology trends or hot topics that you're following closely right now? I think I'm following AI as it applies to security pretty mm-hmm. closely. Um, AI is overhyped, so that will always get my interest. But it's overhyped. Yeah, but in the sense that there are rote tasks that can be done with AI better, and cybersecurity has a lot of them. So if it's within a very finite process, I think machine learning algorithms and AI have a lot to offer. But, you know, when people start talking about how AI is going to lead the Skynet and there's always going to be these amazing self-thinking systems, I always roll my eyes and go, (laughs) that's not going to happen anytime soon. None of us will be around to see it anyway. Mm -hmm. So AI, no, that's definitely a good one. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that as we get into uh, the next couple of years. Um, we do have a couple of listener questions. Um, I, I sent you these earlier, but a couple um, different kind of topics is what are your thoughts on virtual events and will you be attending any of them? Um, my issue with virtual events is to maybe show my age a little bit, but they're <laughs> hardly appointment television. <laughs> and And the problem is, they're virtual and we now live in a Netflix age where we stream and we can watch on demand we want when we want. So you're telling me that I got to show up at Tuesday at nine o'clock to watch a video. I'm going, why? And you know, most people are going to be like me. They'll watch the video if and when they need it. And yeah, you might have some hot announcement or whatever 
that will wrap around that, but I could probably ascertain what that announcement means by reading it in about 10 minutes. And versus, you know, me giving you an hour to sit at the other end of a video presentation laced with all kinds of advertising thrown in the middle of it. So, I, you know, I think that we don't have any better choices at the moment, but yeah. I don't find the current uh, video offerings as they're presented, especially compelling. Interesting. As, you know, I like asking that question because everyone has a different take on it. And I think it's something that we hear, I mean, from a number of cybersecurity companies, clients, prospects about, you know, what do we do about virtual events? And I don't know, Mike, I've never heard that, that take on it, but you know, you make a very valid point, <laughs> very logical point. Um, another listener question is um, every year there's a new trend or issue that everybody writes about. Right now, it's obviously working from home, the extended um, remote workforce, COVID. What do you think might be a big topic for 2021? Obviously, it's hard to say. You never know what's going to happen. But any, any thoughts on what that could be? I think it will be the blending of working from home and returning to the office. I think a lot of people are going to figure out that there's not really much of a difference and they can move back and forth as they see fit. And so uh, that will take a little bit of social change to get to that. But the technology I think is there, or we're at least on the cusp of the tech to do that. But mm -hmm. I'm going to have a bunch of SaaS apps and I'm going to have a bunch of quote unquote on-premise apps. I'm going to stitch those together to create something that looks like a digital workflow. And that will be my workflow. And whether I'm looking at that through my phone or at home or in some office somewhere, it should be the same experience. I think we were marching down that path for a while, but very slowly. And I think now people are going to expect that because they figured out, hey, I don't really need to go to the office to be mm -hmm. productive. There are certain things that we don't do better because we're not all together. But for the most part, um, people are picking up two hours a day of drive time they're not hanging around the cooler trying to figure out what their football pool choices were doing with somebody. And mm -hmm. so they may be working longer, but they're also taking more breaks during the day to go do things around, whether it's shopping or stuff that they used to do on the weekends, people mm -hmm. are kind of weaving stuff in and out of their lives a little bit more. So it's a little like structured. Mm -hmm. And I think people are getting used to that. There are people who of course prefer to go to the office because, you know, they may have some kids at home and the kids may be driving them crazy or um, they just miss the, you know, somebody to talk to because um, they can't quite figure out how to have a social life on Zoom. But, you know, <laughs> over time, those people will be the minority. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a good, uh, a good prediction. I think we'll see a lot of that balance trying to be achieved in 2021, whether it's a mix of going back or staying remote and how to navigate an enterprise that's maybe a mix of both. So it could be interesting. And then Mike, what is something interesting that people might not know about you besides your, your writing and your coverage? Hmm. Things that are interesting. Well, I, uh, I grew up in the Bronx in the seventies and eighties. So, um, oh, wow. you know, when the Bronx was burning, I got to see all that firsthand as they say. And I'm also a civil war buff. I have a, more knowledge about obscure battles in the Civil War than I, as I do IT. Wow, have you thought? Have you uh, thought about writing at all on that, or have you? 
No, that would be turning your, your avocation into a vocation, and that's always a bad idea. There's some good advice. Because <laughs> then it's a job, and then you got to go get a whole new hobby. So That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Great. Well, um, Mike, any, any final thoughts or anything else you want to share? Um, let's see. Do I have any current pet peeves from yeah. folks out there? Um, things that are kind of mildly annoying is um, <laughs> there's this assumption that as we move to this digital play out there that um, if I'm doing an interview with somebody, whether it's a podcast like this or it's a video interview on Zoom, that PR people somehow think that they have some role to play other than setting it up. So they all want to, quote unquote, sit on the call. Now, A, I don't really have the bandwidth to give that up, and it winds up ruining the quality of the video and the recording to begin with. But B, you don't have a role. Just come to terms with that. And you don't say anything. You don't do the all the intro work or the prep work you're supposed to have done before we get on the call. So when you actually get on the call, you're not really doing anything other than you know, hanging around with sure. your client maybe. But for the most part, you're just kind of uh, adding, adding overhead. And so I think, you know, PR folks need to get used to the fact that, you know, the days when you did a print interview with somebody or an online interview for an article and it was a little more free range and conversation and you could uh, insert something about, you know, well, here's our five talking points, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't play out on a podcast and mm -hmm. doesn't play out on a video interview. There's no room for that. So you have to get all that stuff done up front and don't do it on my time. Mm -hmm. Got it. That's some good insight, good perspective. Any others? Any others? Yeah. <laughs> Opening up a can of worms. <laughs> um, phone calls, <laughs> follow-ups. Yeah, um, yeah. The random, the random phone call is just kind of like I don't know anybody out there who picks up in random their real phone life. Calls. <laughs> when's the last time you picked up a phone call from somebody from a number you didn't know? I ignored two today. Yeah. So why do you guys make phone calls to people without sending emails telling me I'm going to make a phone call to you? And then I'll be like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Well, because the notion that uh, I am somehow or other sitting at my desk, randomly looking at the ceiling and going to answer the phone because it's ringing is zero. <laughs> yeah. I have voicemails that I haven't listened to in, I must be going on seven years. Uh-huh. I just don't, you know, I don't know where they are right now. And maybe the phone company is charging me for this, but they're all stored somewhere, but I haven't heard them. And I just don't see the point. It's like, we have these, it's a multimedia world, omni-channel, sure. use the channels correctly. Mm -hmm. It's your job. Very true. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much for sharing a lot of this valuable insight and your perspectives. I know we always like talking to people who have been in, in the industry for a while, and especially from the freelancer perspective, it's, it's always valuable to hear from you. Do, do I get to flip this around and ask you, what's your pet peeve with reporters these days? <laughs> Let me see. I don't know. I think for me, I'm big on relationship building. And it's like, you know, some reporters may have my phone number saved because you, you sort of develop that relationship with them. I don't know if I can think of any. I do right, think but that's a number you would recognize. So that's yeah, exactly. Okay, right? But I do think right. it's important, you know, having a two-way conversation, you know, it's like, 
as PR um, representatives, like we want to help and, you know, try to be a good resource. And I think some do a good job at that and some don't necessarily. And I think it's a matter of having those two-way conversations and developing that trusting relationship where, all right, I know that Mike would be interested in this story because of this reason. So I'm going to present it to him um, and other people right. for other reasons. So. All right. I'll give you one more pet peeve <laughs> that builds on that. So, okay. um, things that drive me crazy are these, uh, unidirectional relationships that PR people seem to have developed over the years where they're like, Oh, we have an announcement and let's push something out. And then they're like, and we'll send it to Mike. Meanwhile, Mike's been working on 10 other stories for the last three months. And every time that he may have sent you an email saying, Hey, you got anybody who wants to chat about this, that, and the other, it's been radio silence. So mm. basically mm. all you guys do now is you can make outbound calls, but you don't seem to be able to take anything that's inbound or, or even do anything in a timely manner to respond to somebody who's working on a story. You're like, well, we can get somebody on that. Like, three weeks from now. And that's kind of generally useless. Mm. And so I think that too many of the PR folks out there think that the function is outbound and they've mm. completely ignored the whole inbound side of the business. And that's to the detriment of their clients. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, we def. I mean, you definitely want to always be responsive and helpful and have that mutual beneficial relationship. So hundred percent agree with that. Definitely All right, guys. I'm done complaining. <laughs> That's, hey, it's, <laughs> it's great to have these conversations, Candid, and, you know, get some good perspectives. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we just want to uh, help each other out, right? Help, help you find resources and continue writing great stories that are informative to the readers. All right. Stay safe. I am hoping to have a beer with everybody one day in 2021 in person. Absolutely. But, you know. Worst case scenario, we can always have a beer over Zoom, right? That's true. We always have that. So thanks so much, Mike. It was a pleasure having you on. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Inside the Media Minds. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. 